You know those moments that snap you back into proper perspective? I had one of those moments uh, this week. It was Tuesday and I was working at the house across the street and I'd already been to Lowe's three times and it looked like I didn't have what I needed. Things just weren't going well. I was frustrated and I got on the Lowe's app to try and find uh, the piece of equipment that I needed to complete this task to make it possible for uh, the next job to be done by the contractors. And as I got out my phone and I got on the Lowe's app, I got a text message from my friend, Kevin Bass. And it was the link to an obituary. You see a guy that Kevin and I went to college with that I don't really know that well, but know of, he lost his daughter in a car accident. And the link to the obituary that Kevin sent me was about this guy's daughter. And in the obituary, they had written about how they have hope in Jesus in this tragic time. And suddenly all of my problems seemed much smaller because they are small. And suddenly I realized as they can have hope in the midst of the darkest season I can imagine. I can have hope and peace and contentment amidst the small frustrations that I'm facing. Today, I wanna show you that the hope that we can experience today, that it's a bright light in the midst of the darkest of times and in the most difficult of circumstances. I want to show you that this hope that we celebrate at Christmas, that it gave hope to people who were facing one of the darkest periods in history. Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night and it is so dark that you can't see where you are? You maybe try to get out of bed and you're stumbling around, you can't see anything. But then on another night, you wake up in the middle of the night and you can see because even though it's dark, even though it is nighttime, the moonlight is giving just enough light through the windows that you can see. Uh, last week, we set up our Christmas tree. And, and so this week, I woke up in the middle of the night and our Christmas tree timer hadn't gone off yet. And so I could still see, even though the Christmas tree was multiple rooms away, was providing enough light reflecting through the kitchen down the hallway into our room. You see, there's dark and then there's utterly dark. There are nights that are dark, but then there are nights with no moon, and it is utterly dark. I want you to see that though this might be a dark period, and these might be dark days, that it's nothing in comparison with the darkness that Jesus was born into. I want to help you contrast that by showing you that really what we're in right now, even though this is a dark period, that, that we are in a period that has followed 500 years of light that we are in a period that is the dusk of a great dawn of Christianity. You see, 500 years ago in 1517, the Protestant Reformation began. And that sparked a movement of people who would eventually separate from the Church of England and look for religious liberty, and they would make their way to America. In 1620, 400 years ago, a group of Puritans, English separatists, people that had stepped away from the Church of England because they couldn't hold to its doctrinal stances any longer, made their way here. They're often referred to as the pilgrims. And when the pilgrims got here, they established what would be the longest or the, the first permanent settlement of Europeans in New England. 
And before they got established, they signed the Mayflower Compact. It was named after the boat that they made their way here on. And it was kind of the first document of governmental practice. And it was, it was written with Christian principles. And some of the descendants of these people would be those that helped fashion the documents that founded our nation 150 years after the Mayflower arrived. About 350 years ago, the nation, the colonies, weren't even America yet, the colonies experienced a great awakening. And villages and towns and colonies began to experience a move of God, kind of sown in the the soil of people coming here seeking for religious freedom and the opportunity to study the scriptures for themselves. This movement began and whole towns and villages would place their faith in Jesus, be baptized and become communion taking members of the church. It was a powerful move of God. In the wake of this great awakening, there was a man named Benjamin Randall who came to know Jesus, and he would later initiate the movement of churches known as Free Will Baptists that we are a part of. And it would be very easy for us to look over the past year or over the past decade or over the last 20 years since the dawn of the new millennium and say, man, the church is not as strong as it used to be. America is not as Christian as it used to be and say, these are dark days. But really, there has been this incredible opportunity for religious liberty and freedom here in America for many years. And while the days that we are in right now might feel darker than the ones that we are used to or are familiar, I want us to recognize that we've really had 400 years of great religious liberty here in America. I want you to turn that around. What if instead of coming at the end of 400 years of religious liberty, we were at the end of 400 years of religious persecution or 400 years of religious inactivity because that's when Jesus arrived. Jesus arrived in a period after 400 years of silence from God. It had been 400 years since God spoke through his followers. If right now we were at the end of 400 years of religious inactivity and and no movement of God, what do you think the mood would be? How many followers of Jesus do you think there would be? And that's when Jesus arrived. And Isaiah speaks of that time that was coming ahead of him, that was beginning, that he was starting to see as he prophesied and speaking of the things that were to come. He writes about this in Isaiah chapter 8, and he uses some some very strong and vivid language, and it can be a little confusing. So I'm going to read a paraphrase put together by Eugene Peterson of verses 11 to 22, because I think it'll help you get a grasp of what's being said. His paraphrase goes like this. And God spoke strongly to me, Isaiah. Grab me with both hands and warn me not to go along with this people. He said, don't be like this people. Always afraid somebody's plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. And if you're going to worry, worry about the Holy One. Fear the God of angel armies. That's the one that you should fear. The Holy One can either be a hiding place or a boulder blocking your way. 
the rock standing in the willful way of both houses of Israel, a barbed wire fence preventing trespass to citizens of Jerusalem. Many of them are going to run into that rock and get their bones broken, get tangled up in that barbed wire and not get free of it. Instead, gather up the testimony, preserve the teaching for my followers while I wait for God as long as he remains in hiding, while I wait and hope for him. I stand my ground and hope. I and the children God gave me as signs to Israel, warning signs and hope signs from the God of angel armies who makes his home in Mount Zion. And so when the people tell you, try out fortune tellers and consult the spiritualists, why not tap into the spirit world to get in touch with the dead? Tell them, no, we are going to study the scriptures. People who try other ways get nowhere. It's a dead end. Frustrated and famished, they'll be. They try one thing after another. When nothing works out, they get angry, cursing first this God and then that one, looking this way and that, up and down and sideways and seeing nothing but a blank wall, an empty hole. They end up in the dark with nothing. Now, I wanted to read that paraphrase of all of those verses, but let me point out a couple of verses in the New King James. Because Isaiah here says that God is a rock and that that rock can either be a place of fortress, a place of strength, a place of defense, or it can be a place of destruction. It can be a place of sanctuary or it can be a stone that will trip up and crush. He says in verse 14, He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble They shall fall and be broken. They will be snared and be taken. Isaiah is telling them that the coming judgment is going to make life very, very hard. This was going to set up years and years of difficulty. There would be a long time, many generations of darkness and drear days. And the darkness would be so great that the people would become desperate. And they would go searching this way and that. They would begin looking anywhere for some sign or some news. They would become so desperate that they would turn to fortune tailors and soothsayers. You know, it's, it's probably hard for us to imagine right here in the midst of the holidays when there's so much food to be had, so much good food that we've been eating. But when people are hungry... When they get desperate for something to eat, they will lower their standard of what they're willing to eat when they're hungry. Reading accounts of people in the Holocaust, people in concentration camps, they were so hungry that they would be moved to eat things that you and I probably just can't imagine eating. When people are desperate, they lower their standards. And because the people were so desperate for some news, they were turning to spiritualists. They were turning to soothsayers. They were turning to those who dealt with the demonic and the evil spirits so that they could get some word of divine news. Earlier this year, when, uh, for whatever reason, there was a run on toilet paper, people would often post on social media, hey, this store has toilet paper. And they didn't post like, hey, it's the good stuff, it's two-ply. It's just they have toilet paper. And people would go and buy it, not caring if it was the brand they normally bought, not caring if it was the quilted or if it was super soft, whatever. People just wanted toilet paper. They wanted something. Because they were desperate, 
They were willing to lower their standards. It used to be you go to the grocery store and there were dozens of different choices of toilet paper, different brands, different textures, different softness. But when there was nothing, people just took whatever they could get their hands on. And in dark days, there's this desperation. And when people went past their desperation, they got angry. That's what this passage foretells will happen. Verses 21 and 22. They pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and they will see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Isaiah is saying it's going to be bad and it's going to get worse. And as it gets worse, people will move from desperation to rage, and their rage will drive them further into the darkness. Now, I've been going down this path, and I've been trying to paint for you this picture of how desperate things were. Because I wanted you to see how dark everything was in chapter 8 so that you can appreciate the hope that is found in in chapter 9. In the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the chapter doesn't break here. It all just kind of runs together. There's this changing of gears from the doom and gloom of chapter 8 to the hope in chapter 9. Now look at chapter 9 and verse 1 with me. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in the Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, that might not sound super hopeful, and it might sound a little convoluted. The, the phrasing in the Hebrew is a little difficult, and the King James translators, they tried to communicate it with some, some double negatives here. It's for that reason that when Charles Spurgeon preached on this passage, he instead read to his congregation the Revised Standard Version of verse 1, which starts like this, There shall be no gloom to her that was in anguish. In other words, those who have experienced the anguish in chapter 8, that gloom and that darkness, that drear, is going to come to an end. And that sets us up for what we read in verse 2. Chapter 9 and verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. The people who were in darkness, the light has come to them. The drear, the gloom, it is gone. Light has shined. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. Midian is when Gideon overcame the Midianites. It's It's a rejoicing like when Gideon overcame, he was the underdog and he won. If you've ever seen a celebration of a basketball game, when the underdog wins, it's huge. And he's saying, This is a celebration like when the underdog wins, like when the harvest is divided. 
Verse 5, for every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Every one of those that have overtaken us, these powerful armies, every one of them will be wrapped up in God's judgment. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It goes from the doom and gloom of chapter 8 to the rejoicing and the light and the celebration of chapter 9. Because the light of Christ has shone upon the people who walked in darkness. You see, the stars shine bright on the darkest of nights. When Jesus was going to arrive and there was a bright star in the sky that guided the wise men, that star appeared not in the day sky, but in the night sky. There it was easily seen. Even the brightest of stars is seen in contrast to the darkest of nights. And Spurgeon has said, The clearest promises of the Messiah have been given in the darkest hours of history. And Isaiah is this prophet who's delivering news in a dark day. And it is then that they're given this promise and this hope. And we see this happen again and again and again throughout Scripture. It happens when Adam and Eve have sinned and sin enters into the world and death by sin. But it is there that God tells us that he is sending a son. It is when the people are enslaved in bondage to Egypt and God, God calls Moses and tells him that he is going to use him to lead the people into a promised land. It is in the days of chaos and confusion that God gives his greatest promises. And I want you to see in this chapter that God not only chose the darkest of times to give his bright light, but he also chose the darkest of places for that light to appear in. Let's look back at verse 1. That opening phrasing is, is kind of challenging. But let's start with, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, reading that today, those places, those, those names, they don't mean a whole lot to us. But when Isaiah prophesied this, there had just recently been an attack on the people in Galilee. This Assyrian leader had led an army to conquer, to wipe out the people in Galilee. It was one of the first places that the Assyrians came and wiped out the Jews. Now the Assyrians would come and they would bring conquer and conquest to the rest of the people. The rest of the people would be conquered and taken into captivity eventually. But it started there in Galilee. And it started there in Galilee because it was a place of great sin. 
Not only this, Galilee was this small, insignificant place. And it wasn't just made up of Jews, but there were also foreigners and strangers, Gentiles, it refers to here. And so it was this small, insignificant place, a place where God had allowed the Assyrians to come and conquer. It was a place where the first beginnings of these dark days had happened, in this small, insignificant place. But it's there that Jesus would arise. He would be born in Bethlehem, a small town, but then he would be raised in Galilee, Nazareth specifically. It would kind of like be someone who is born in Folsomville, but then they grow up in Chandler. And people had no esteem for Galilee or Nazareth. Do you remember when people, when they first began to hear of Jesus, they said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Galilee? And Chandler is a small town outside of Evansville. And often when you speak to people in Evansville about Chandler, they don't even really know where it is. They think that it's 45 minutes away like Jasper or... They know of Chandler as the speed trap on the way to Boonville. It's small and insignificant in their eyes. That was the kind of place that God sent the bright light of Jesus. That is the place that the darkness began to first be pushed back by the dawning of a sun who would rise. How is it possible that these dark and difficult days can be turned back? They are turned back through the impossible arrival of God in the flesh. And this promise is one that gives us hope in the most difficult, darkest of days. Even in chapter 8, which is filled with all of this hardship, look at verses 9 and 10. Be shattered, O you peoples, and broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Give yourselves, gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together. And these are the people that are coming to conquer Israel that Isaiah has said is going to happen. But he says, hey, listen, you can take counsel together, but know that you're going to be broken in pieces. You can speak the words of defeat over us, but it will not stand. Why? And the next words are, for God is with us. And in our English Bible, that's translated from, for us, but in the Hebrew, it is the word Emmanuel, which is the name that Jesus is referred to later on because Emmanuel means God with us. How is it that the, the, the designs and the devices of evil will not stand? How is it that the dark days will not stay dark? How is it that the sun will rise again? How is it that God will accomplish his purposes and his plans, that he will redeem his people even though they are being punished for their sins? How is this possible? Emmanuel, God with us. Even in the darkest of moments, when the, the armies were coming in on Jerusalem, there was hope to be had because Jesus was coming to be with us. The Emmanuel was coming to be among us. God with us. In these dark moments, Isaiah 
preaches a message of hope because of Jesus. He preaches a message of hope because of Emmanuel, because of the son, the child who is given to us, who will be called wonderful, mighty God, everlasting counselor. Even though it is hundreds of years before Jesus will come, Isaiah has this hope. Isaiah, looking into the darkest chapter of Israelite history, can have hope because of a son who's coming one day. And I know that these are dark days for us, but we can have hope because, the, because of the God who has already come. We're not just looking forward to it in the future. We know that he has already come. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. And so we have hope in the darkest, dreariest, gloomiest of days, knowing that, that hope has arisen. Hope has arrived. Jesus has come. A son has been given to us. Spurgeon says, In the worst of times we are to preach Christ and to look to Christ. In Jesus there is remedy for the direst of diseases and a rescue from the darkest of despairs. Isaiah focused on Jesus hundreds of years before his birth and in the darkest of times. And I think that we would do well to focus on Jesus thousands of years after his birth, no matter how dark the days may be. You know, there are some places where there's less sunlight than others. If there's a valley, there's a place that is in between two mountains. The light on either side blocks the light. It, the mountains block the light. And so the valley dwells in the shadow of those mountains. And it's only until the sun comes directly over that they have that light. And there are places in the world where it's darker than others. And there are times in life that are more difficult than others. But even in those times, we can have hope because we know that the sun will rise. Isaiah could have hope because he knew the sun would come. We have hope because we know the sun did come and he rose again. The most northern city in the United States is a city of Barrow, Alaska. And the people who live there call it by a different name because they call it by its Inuit Eskimo name, which I... I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. But Barrow, Alaska, is currently right now in the midst of 66 days of darkness. The sun set on November 22nd, and it will not fully raise until January 27th. Now, before that day, there will be some days where the sun just barely glints over the horizon and provides a little bit of light. But they're in the midst of two months of night, two months of darkness. And I'm sure that it feels like the sun is never going to raise again. I'm sure that there are times that it feels like it's going to stay dark forever. But they know that the sun will raise again. Because most of the people who live there, they've lived there for all of their lives, and they come from a generation after generation, a lineage, an ancestor of people that have lived there all of these years, and have experienced not only the 60 days of dark, 
but also the 70 days of sunlight in the summer. They go through a period of two months where the sun never sets. Even in that place where it is the darkest and it's dark for days on end, they know that the sun is coming. And for Isaiah and the people of Israel in the middle of the darkest of days, they knew that a sun was coming and that gave them Friend, 2020 has been full of dark days. And perhaps you are currently living in a season of your life that is hard. You're living in a time of your life where you are broken and battered. You are frustrated. You feel forsaken and forgotten. Know that you can have hope that the sun is coming. You can have hope in the darkest of days. And I believe that hope shines the brightest in the darkest.